Chao. What do you want? It's a podcast to you. Gotta talk about Giallo movies just for you. The only thing I'd like, I'd really like, is to meet you face to face. It'll happen sooner or later, but you don't have to recognize us. Thanks. However, you disappoint me, duck. You throw a challenge my way. I almost forgot the most important part. We go by Creep, Creeperson, and Chris. And this is Chow Chow Chow. Got it. The harbor, a phone booth sitting right near Pier 11. I'll get out the APB. Move, you bastard. Ciao, everybody, and welcome to Jalo Chow Chow, episode number 53. And that is Catherine's favorite song. <laughs> so, just in case you weren't aware. <clears throat> ciao, ciao, everybody. Anytime. Oh, anytime. You want to listen to our podcast, you podcast. can download it on Stitcher or whatever. Whatever fucking iTunes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey everybody hello how are you creep i'm super duper pooper scooper super trooper how are you doing i'm very good i'm very well good 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 i'm uh recovered uh, i've recovered from my illness so i apologize to all of the diehards out there who were expecting a uh, new episode last week but i was in very bad shape and uh, now I'm I'm not really a hundred percent, but since I started drinking this old fashioned, um, I'm feeling hundred and ten percent. So there you go. It's just the orange in there that's making you feel that way. Yeah, you're but probably you could, right. You could sugarcoat it with some bourbon there, buddy. That's okay. It's a rye old fashioned, actually. Ooh. Ooh. Listen to you, <clears throat> Mister Man. 
<laughs> and his right guy. But, um, and it has escaped me. Um, but uh, before we get into pleasantries, no, fuck it. Let's get into pleasantries. <laughs> all right. Go ahead. Tell us all about it. Uh, well, listen, um, you know, you and I, uh, a couple of episodes ago, you started talking about this uh, TV show that was on ABC Family called Pretty Little Liars. And how jolly yeah. it is. Got a secret, can you keep it? Swear this one you'll save. Better lock it in your pocket, taking this one to the grave. If I show you, then I know you won't tell what I said. Cause two can keep a secret if one of them is dead. So I was bedridden for a couple of days with a really bad fever and chills and sore throat and the whole thing. And I said, hey, look, this Sorry. is on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, go in and see what this is all about. So I watched the first episode and I said, wow, this is a pretty cool idea. And then I watched the second episode and I said, okay, so maybe this is a pretty cool idea. And then I watched the third episode and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and the eighth. And these are all like, I don't know, what, 50-minute episodes? Yeah, dude. It's not like they're short. And then I realized, okay, so there's there's a few, there, there's a lot of tie-ins with Jolly. I mean, there's, you know, there's these four girls who are kind of the amateur detective um, they're kind of attached to this case, this missing person's case, or this this murder, or whatever you want to call it, um, a little bit more emotionally than your normal giallo amateur detective. But the suspects are very weird and lots of red herrings. And there's a police inspector who's kind of, you know, corrupt and doesn't do his job very well. And, um, and you know, lots of hot teenage girls. You know, the, <laughs> they don't necessarily have that in Jolly, but... Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, um, something a little bit different for the modern age. And so they have swim meets. They, they have swim meets. Yes. Um, yeah. I, and every once in a while peppered in is these kind of jolly illusions. You know, you've got the, the unseen figure wearing the black trench coat with the black hat and black gloves doing weird things, uh, putting like fetishistic, pictures you know like fetishizing pictures of one of the girls kissing another girl and um collecting uh things out of the lake and i'm like okay this is sort of interesting but um i have to say that after i got to i think episode 11 and then realized that there were i was only halfway through the first season and there were five seasons that i decided that i was going to bail <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to watch any more of it. What a um, quitter. And what I ended up doing was I ended up jumping to the finale of season four to see what was happening. Oh, and you can't do that. You won't know what the fuck's going on, dude. Yeah, no, I, I read the cliff notes. I went into the Wicca, wiki page for the, for the site, for the show. Which is almost worse that you cliff noted the whole damn mm -hmm. show. Like you're a bad 12-year-old girl. Yeah, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't get put the time in. I have so many things that I'm interested in spending my time on and be, having to spend another, you know, a uh, hundred plus episodes at 45 minutes a piece. It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So I gave up. Um, 
I, I did like parts of it. I think that clearly, you know, this is a show made for ABC Family, which is kind of weird because it's pretty risque. Weird as hell. It totally is. There's like so many high school kids that are banging adults. Yeah, and, and, the, like and the pot smoking and the, and the lesbianism and the the mom who bangs the the police inspector just so her daughter can get out of the shoplifting charge. I mean, that was in the very beginning of the of the of the uh, of the series, but I was like, God, this is this is crazy. Every time I I see it was on ABC Family, but um, it's well done. Um, I think that you know because it's geared for um, you know mid teenaged girls. There's a lot of fluff. There's a lot of relationship talk and a lot of this person likes you and you don't like this person and stuff. So it's got a lot of that um, Dawson's Creek kind of thing going on. Um, but it had some cool Jalo elements. So, I, you know, if, you know, Creep had said a couple episodes ago, if you have the patience for that sort of thing, it's got, it's got its rewarding points. Um, the good news is I think that, you know, I probably won't ever watch it again simply because you when, read what happens. Well, not only, not only that, but the theme song, because I, because I had this illness that was like, I had fever dreams because my, my fever was like constantly at like, you know, 101 uh, while I was sleeping and I would go to bed after watching, I fall asleep after watching an episode and the theme song uh, they got a secret. Can you keep it? Blah, 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 blah. It just repeated over and over infinitely yeah. in my head while I'm like nauseous and dying and cold sweats. So I think all of that association is going to be like whenever I watch the sh if I ever decide to watch it again, not being sick, as soon as I see the theme song, it's going to make me just immediately go back to being sick again. It's just going to bring back all those feelings. And if it helps you at all, after I like watch like the first season on a binge for a couple days or whatever, um, <clears throat> I torrented all of that band stuff, the pierces or whatever. Okay. It's not that great. And that's, so is that I immediately the, did not have the torrent anymore. Or is the, that, is that a band that, is that a, a single band that did all the music for the show? Um, they do the theme song. Oh, I see. Gotcha. The video for it's actually really cool. If you're, if you like that song enough to sit through a video for it, I don't know. But that's the other thing that I didn't like was that probably every thirty seconds or so there was another pop song, and it wasn't really a pop song. It was one of those like sad bastard acoustic coffeehouse songs, you know. Um, but they and, and if you watch the if you watch the show with the subtitles on, they put the lyrics to the song that's playing in the background in the subtitles, and it starts to drive me crazy. I did that, dude. That's funny. No, when you started watching it, and you were like texting me like a little nerdy schoolgirl about how excited <laughs> you were. Um, I uh, what do you call it? I started watching the fourth season because that's where I left off or whatever. And um, <clears throat> I had the subtitles on as well. And like my daughter sat down and started watching some of it. And I'm <laughs> like, oh my God, she's getting into this. This isn't good. I got to figure something out. But um, yeah, dude, I don't know. Like it took me a while to remember everybody's storyline and all that. Yeah. Because there's a lot. The one thing that show does well is keep the story building 
tying all the characters together, interweaving everyone's bullshit. And so something that happens like one episode, you'll find out about like the next season, like, Oh yeah, that insignificant thing actually had something to do with so-and-so blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, from a writing standpoint, it's a lot of fun, but it's very taxing. Yeah. That's, that's what I I got out of it. I got out of it. It was very taxing. And it didn't, in other words, it really had, and it didn't have enough payoff for the things that you know that we were looking for as grown you men. More of a body count. Yeah, I wanted to see some some murdering. I mean, you know, with all the other stuff they were doing, it was kind of like, well, why don't they just go to the next step and start killing people? But you know, it happens. Bodies start piling up, which I'm sure you read. Yeah, I mean, well, the one thing that I do remember uh, you know the the one thing i did understand after going through and reading the synopsises or synopsi is that the the a person um continues to change throughout the seasons it's not always the same person so well i think it it goes until <clears throat> i think the third season before they find out who it is if i'm not mistaken and then you find out that that person was being blackmailed by someone else named a okay. to write these blackmail notes to the four girls. Okay. So at the end of the day, you really have no fucking clue. And then the girl in the red coat shows up, which is like another, she it's has def- like a red hat and a red trench coat. Well, that's, and red gloves. that's a total eyeball reference, right? You know, yeah, the whole totally. red poncho thing. I didn't even get that but, far. So I don't even know who the girl in the red coat is. So, I don't either because I haven't finished this season. <laughs> but I was just going to say, since we've lost all of our viewers now, for those <laughs> of you who are um, wanting to like hang out with us and chat and ask questions and talk about Pretty Little Liars, just use the Q&A button thingy on the Hangout page and we will be able to see your questions and communicate with you as human beings. So speaking of beans, what else happened to you this week? Two weeks, three weeks, however long it's been. Well, um, just a just some some information to update everybody. We are all anxiously awaiting this Synapse steel box of Tenebrae. Uh, according to their website and their Facebook page, um, the release, the street date has been kind of delayed by a couple of days. They are anticipating getting the the product between i think today and thursday and they're going to start shipping the stuff out so for people who have pre-ordered it who are in the u.s um they should expect to be getting it uh, probably next week um the other thing that i didn't realize was that if you go to i think it's diabolique dvd does that sound right um they they are the representatives for the international buyers for this Tenebrae Steelbox DVD. Um, it's the only the, the only two places that you can buy this, either domestically in the US through Synapse Films, or I think it's Diabolique. I'm gonna double check Diabolique DVD. Um, no, that's not it. It's... He's looking at porn sites now. Sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry. Um, Let me just 
This is this is the point in the in the in the show where everything crashes on me. So get ready. Okay. If you guys are wondering, he's he's at um, jalobottom.com. Oh, it's Diabolic. So it's oh. it's D I A B O L I K DVD.com. And you can order it from there if you're in the UK or uh, otherwise elsewhere outside of the United States. <clears throat> um, and so one other little thing I wanted to bring up. Um, now yes. that we're doing, and you know, tonight's episode, uh, we're calling it A Little Lindsay Part 1. We're going to feature uh, two of Lindsay's proto-giallo, proto-gialli. Um, and it brings up a good point, something that Maddie Thomas Taylor from the group brought up um, to me a couple weeks ago. We're getting to the point now where we may want to make changes in Jalo score to the criteria. And specifically because we now have, the, in, at least on the site, we now have the same amount of films that were scored by Riz Otolani, Ortolani, as we do uh, Bruno Nicolai. And so if you guys are familiar with the site, um, films are awarded uh, three points if the soundtrack was composed by either Ennio Morricone or Bruno Nicolai. Um, and now we're getting to a point where we have at least six films uh, that were composed by Riz. And the question that I will pose to the group is, should we A, change the criteria so that films get three points if it's Morricone, Nicolai, or Ortolani? Ortolani, is that how you say it? I think so. Or do we just add another signatures that says for one point the film, if the film is scored by Riz, the, the, the film gets an extra point. I'm leaning towards the first option because considering the fact that Nikolai and Riz are tied at the moment, it's a little bit more significant than a single one-pointer. Um, meanwhile, Morricone has 12, so I don't think anybody's going to be catching up with him anytime soon on my website. Um, what do you yeah, think? Do what do you think? We yeah, should just do it. I think you should, but I think you're going to start getting into the trap that as you go, there's going to be other people who start coming up with as many movies as Riz. Right. You know, like um, that Stelvio dude. Supreme. Yeah, I think he has a few movies up on the score page. Um, and then maybe Cam, the fake Italian music library that films are allowed to use. And that's and that's an interesting one because Cam is not really it's something that you can attribute to a single composer, right? No, it's just it's just kind of a a, a grouping of of. Soundtrack. It's like, public, it's like public domain sounds for film. I see. So, I mean, basically, if we decided, if if I decided, or we as a group decided to add this to the site in that way, I would merely go through uh, all the films that have Riz as the composer and check off that thing, and those films would go up in score. I think the most significant one that we would see is let's see don't torture a duckling would go into the 90s 
Don't Torture a Duckling would go from 89 to 92. Um, <laughs> um, but other than that, I think... Oh, and Seven Bloodstained Orchids would make its way up to 88. So, that's pretty significant. Yeah. So, I will put this as a poll uh, on the group and see what you guys have to say about it. Because um, I value... Uh, the opinions of the guys on on uh, the Facebook page. Uh, there's a lot of activity there. And for anybody listening to the um, podcast who isn't on the Facebook group, here's a quick plug. Go to Jalo Chow Chow or search for Jalo Chow Chow. That's C-I-A-O exclamation point twice um, in Facebook and request uh, to be admitted into our crazy discussion uh i super exclusive club yes super exclusive that we immediately grant you access to when you request access to it Um, pretty much and uh it's a lot of fun we're we're talking about all kinds of giallo type stuff there so i'll put the poll there and see what uh what people think what everybody wants to do sounds gravy cool what about you, sir? Anything going on in your world? Um, nothing worth talking about. I've been reading a lot of uh, Mickey Splane books lately. Huh, and okay. like those old um, Mike Hammer detective mysteries. Right. That are really fucking cool as shit. Like, I can't get enough of them. So, no. were those the ever... basis? Are those the basis for like the film noir type stuff, or is that something else? Um, that might be a little earlier because I think the first My Camera uh, Mickey Splane book came out in like 48. Okay. Which is called I the Jury. If any of you guys come across it, it's a fucking slobber knocker. Definitely check it out. It, it's just, it's so. <clears throat> it, like, if you like these films, like, these books just like go hand in hand. Like, the way they work. Like, my camera's a fucking asshole, private investigator, has problems with the cops, but has a friend that's a cop, and um, totally, like, treats women like shit, yet they want to, like, rip their clothes off and do them, and then he's, like, beating the shit out of people, and I don't know. It's just, like... Uh, so is there, a, is, a, is there a direct kind of translation or a direct relationship to these books? in the film world or is it more along the lines of partly well, film actually, noir some creamy um, and... it's very much like your noir and your creamies for sure but it's like um, I don't know if you remember but Stacy Keish played Mike Hammer in like three or four movies and in three different television series so there was like Mickey Splane's Mike Hammer, the oh, okay. new Mike Hammer, and then the return of Mike Hammer or something yep. like that over like a 20 year period. So, um, and when I remember when this was on when I was a kid, I fucking hated it. Because <laughs> I think uh, Stacey Keish has the same like Tom Atkins quality that makes me hate him. Yeah. Um, he looks but, a little uh, bit like a Tom Selleck too, like the Magnum PI kind of looking guy. Like a squash Tom Selleck. Yeah. Tom Selleck who got hit on the head with a mallet. <laughs> but, uh, it's just good shit. It's just really fucking good shit. But that's cool. it. Really? 
Oh, um, Deadpool is hysterical. Okay. And very filthy, in case anyone was wondering. Yeah, I've heard very a lot. Awkward to watch with a child. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about how great it is. And the only thing I know about it is that one of the movie posters, it looks like the guy is kind of making some sort of phallic type um, gesture. Um, so I'm assuming that it's because it's R-rated for a reason. So Yeah. There's a lot of uh, booty talk. Right. But yeah, good stuff. And I hate Rai Rai, so it works out. Meanwhile, so I watched uh, two, all, both seasons of Fargo, um, and I can't oh, say enough yeah. about how amazing that show is. Second so, season, I don't think was as good as the first. Really, they were both really? amazing. Yeah, I think they were both great, and like they're both great for different reasons. But if I had to pick a winner, I don't know. I think the first Kirsten season Dutch was amazing, and I hate was, her. She was great. She was absolutely great. I absolutely hate her, and I thought she was fucking phenomenal. I that. wanted to kill her halfway through the season because she was so annoying, and then I started to really like her character. So fuck yeah, dude. I think the reason why I I gravitate towards season one is because it reminds me more of the movie than the second because the second season is all about these organized crime families and um you know the the husband and wife that are kind of in, in mixed in the middle of it and it's not a lot like the Coen Brothers film but this other it's like a prequel to the prequel yeah yeah yeah. Anyway, really good stuff. I was I was absolutely amazed at how great that show is, and I didn't know why it took me so long to watch it. But I think I think the thing that I was having like kind of weird bits with, and then we'll stop talking about this or whatever. But there's something really odd that happens sporadically in the second season, especially in the first episode and the last episode. And I really thought there was going to be something more about it, <laughs> and then there just wasn't. Okay, and, I kind of, um, I kind of got. Do you the, know what I'm talking? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I'm not sure, but I kind of got the vibe in both seasons that the last episode was actually a lot of um, kind of cerebral kind of um, reflection, as opposed to the second to the yeah, last episode of the last season. Episode. Second yeah. to the last episodes are the big ones. It's where sure. everything gets resolved and 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 all the, the crazy action happens. Then that's probably what I'm actually thinking about. At the very end of this second to the last episode of the second season, okay. like there's something um, round and frisbee shaped. I don't remember that. Hmm. Oh, for fuck's sake, man! It was the most out of place thing. I have to go. Um... Oh, 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 oh! Don't worry. Yeah, okay. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Where okay. And I totally thought something else was going to happen with that, and then it just doesn't. It's like, the hey, big, whatever. The big shootout, and then that that scene where they're all laid yeah. on the floor, on the ground. Yeah. yeah. They'll, well, they'll probably, they'll probably go back to it. It's so out of place compared to all the other stuff. Yeah, for sure. But the, but the Indian guy, I think, has some sort of a tie to it. Who makes a cameo in Bone Tomahawk, Ooh. if anyone cares. All right. Yay. So we did that. Hey, this is a Jalo show. I know. Let's get Yella. <laughs>
So on the notes here, I have too many windows open. I'm fucking having like a issue at the moment. What's next? What's the next item up for bids there? The next item up for bids, Roddy. ladies and gentlemen, is a Roddy. new... <laughs> uh, we're going to start talking about this young man named Umberto Lenzi, who's not young anymore, but in 1969, he uh, came on the scene uh, and, and introduced... Her. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And her scene. He came on the scene... Um, and introduce the world to these three films. Um, I can do a, a, a quick uh, overview of the trilogy, such as it is. It's referred to as a trilogy. The storylines don't connect. It's just that everything else kind of does. Um, before you had, I mean, Blood and Black, Blood and Black Lace was already out. Um, and I think um, we were getting very close to uh, five dollars for an August moon coming out. Patrick um, for the honeymoon is already out. Yeah, and and I think also full cheese perversion story had come out. Yeah. Um, so the, the whole idea of the sexy thriller, um, Umberto Lenzi, um, he put out three films in the span of uh, a year, um, and they were all these. They all fell into these formulas of the sexy thriller. The first one was originally called Orgasmo. <clears throat> and when it was released in the United States, it was called Paranoia. The second one was called So Sweet, So Perverse. And the third one was called Paranoia. <laughs> and when it was released in the United States, it was called A Quiet Place to Kill. And uh, <laughs> to make things even more confusing, the fourth one was called An Ideal Place to Kill, uh, also known as... I forget what the hell it's called. Oh wait, um, Oasis of Fear. So um, when which is the worst title out of all of them? Right. Yeah. If, if you're trying to follow this in a historical context, or you're trying to get a hold of, uh, or trying to get your head around what Lindsay was trying to do, it's very confusing, especially when you try to do research and you research the film Paranoia, and you might get someone. Uh, giving commentary or with video clips from the the third film in the, in the group or the first film in the group. Um, but anyway, we're going to cover it's hard because Carol Baker's in all of them. So she's in, she's in all three. That's right. And so when it does get tricky, when you're watching something and you think it might be a clip from orgasmo or whatever, and then like you're looking at it and you're like, wait a second, who the fuck's that person? Right, and you start. Yeah, it's good times. But but I do think personally, once you've watched all three, um, and I have seen all three at this point, um, there's a huge difference between the first one and the third one. Um, the yeah. first one, which is the one that Creep's going to talk about next, uh, originally entitled Orgasmo, um is like Lindsay's first attempt at this. And you can tell that um, it was, it was like uh, the wild, wild west when he decided to make this movie, he just basically just went, went nuts with the way that he made the film. And then he kind of tuned, you know, he pulled it back a little bit for so sweet, so perverse, and then changed it up a little bit more for paranoia, the second paranoia. Um, but it's once you've seen all three, it's not, it's not difficult to remember which one is which once you've, once you become kind of 
associated and familiar with all three of them. So I'm going to fuck that up right now. And the one where she's a race car driver and they're out on the yacht, that is... Is that That's, a quiet place to kill or ideal place to kill? That's ideal place, right? No, no, because a quiet place to kill is the is the other title of Paranoia, Paranoia. which is the third yeah. one. And I think they called it a quiet place to kill because the theme of that film is that they went out somewhere in Mallorca or something um, to live with. Um, but her that's the one, husband. Right? That's the one. The one with the race car driver. Yeah, where, okay. where, where she's a race car driver. Right? That is so confusing. Okay, definitely. You know what? I will say you did a better job explaining that than Wikipedia. I know. It, it, it's, it's not that confusing when you spell it out, and it's. I think everyone's going to be very happy with that now. Well, the only reason why I was able to kind of explain it succinctly is because I read five or six different articles that tried to explain what happened um, with these releases. And so I finally put it all together, but um, yeah, it's very freaking confusing, very confusing. So um, without further ado, let's get into the first film and uh, we'll hand it over to Karen. Oh, what I wanted to ask you real quick. Um, are you going to go over what these two scored? Yeah, do you want to do that? Now? Yeah, sure. I, um, I would just be curious to hear what they did beforehand. I should have just looked. Okay, so Paranoia, um, which is the U.S. title. <clears throat> and typically what I do for the Jalo Score website is I use whatever the big title is, is given uh, in IMDb. So in this particular case, IMDb lists this as Paranoia excuse me, as paranoia, although the film was originally called Orgasmo. Orgasmo um, gets a 51, huh. and um, without getting into too much of the details, part of the reason for that is that we really don't have, and it's going to be the same for the other two films in this trilogy, we really yeah. don't have the killer is out there classic giallo thing but it's it's important to note that in the signatures section of the score uh this film got an eight out of ten so yeah there's an airplane there's a death from falling there are dolls and dummies there's j and b there's Everywhere. photography <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the j and b is like it, you know, strip nude for your killer had J and B references everywhere, but in this film, they just drink it constantly. Like, I'm wondering if these movies were the ones that made that a staple. Yeah, and the genre, you know, because it's like I don't want to get to. Well, finish the thing. What what did the next one get? If you want to, or you don't yeah. even have to. Yeah. To. So then, so the next film, which I'll cover when when you're done with. Um, with orgasmo so sweet so perverse came in at a 46 and um basically the same problem as the first one which is that the staples in the standard sections in giallo score really dictate that you have at least some sort of a hidden identity some sort of a body count um some sort of a motivation for murdering um but in this particular case, it had less signatures. It had less, you know, it had less of everything. 
Um, but a lot of the score is built up around the whole bird with the crystal plumage. Yeah, like, pretty much. This is what a Jalo film is. So, and then these are the early dabbles that are that made those ones great. Okay, so Orgasmatron <laughs> or Orgasmo. The stage was set, the night we met, for fate had planned it so. And just one look was all it took to set my heart aglow. Oh, hardly with all of me, I proved how love should be. And the days we shared when you still cared were such sweet ecstasy. But then, but then, I don't know why. This movie, I will say right now, is pretty great for the most part. The, the movie starts off with um, an airport and Carol Baker in the stupidest fucking hat that ever came off of Hat Planet <laughs> on her fucking head on the windiest day of the fucking year. And she's looking like a cross between like some fashion model slash psycho killer slash flying nun kind of thing and um it's very distracting like i couldn't even pay attention to what anyone was saying until she took that fucking hat off so if there was ever anything that was really important in that first bit of dialogue i completely have no idea what it was um but basically there's this young they, it's funny because in the early in the beginning part of the movie they keep talking about how young she is and then as the movie goes on she <laughs> constantly complains about how old she is right and how uh, all this other shit but we'll get to that so her husband who was this old 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 man who was richer than fucking shit died and left her all of this fucking money and all of these properties and all this fucking shit so because she hates people and is very shitty human being kind of person rich lady she decides she's gonna leave new york and go stay in this weird ass like villa mansion thing um in the middle of italy somewhere um and her lawyer sets up her lawyer's name is brian this is Catherine west by the way played by carol baker the enigmatic. i said that word wrong we'll keep going though and um, so he sets her up with this nice place with this fucking crotchety, just bitch looking fucking maid and this super sweet deaf old man um, named Martino as um, the people that are going to kind of help her out. And Brian lets her know, he's like, look, I got tons of shit I got to take care of. There's not going to be any paparazzi or no nothing around. I got to go back to New York. I got to sign papers, screw hookers, do what lawyers do in New York for a few days. If you need anything, anything fun, anything at all, Teresa's your man. 
but she's a woman and she's going to be able to get it. And you look at Teresa and the last fucking thing in your mind is fun when you see this chick. You're like, she's not going to be able to help me get a fucking fried egg. Like, I'm fucked. Like, how is this going to fucking work? (laughs) So, after days of um, her getting back into her art, which she loves so much, and Brian knew this and set up a bunch of art shit for her to make horrendous paintings. Um, Like, there's a self-portrait of her that looked like a blind cow painted it with its back hoof and um but not in like the cool picasso way like in the oh that poor third grader he needs medicine or something kind of way so she's awful she's just outside sunbathing drawing a picture of a fucking tree or some shit and the douchiest fucking guy in the world pulls up in some fucking old jalopy that's all and he's like oh yeah I know I just drove up here but my car broke down can I come in your gate and like hang out with you and she's like no beat it and then she looks at him and she's like hmm he smiles he's a man why don't you stay for a little while because what we don't know is that underneath Catherine West's stupid hat and fancy clothes, she's a raving sex lunatic. <gasps> Who would she thought? likes to have her orgasmos. So, <clears throat> she invites him in, and then she invites him to stay, and it's all like the dumbest shit ever. And this guy's like the worst house guest in the world. He's like, Yeah, my pump's broken. I'm going to throw it in your pool. And, um,. <laughs> maybe I could come in your house and eat all your food and drink your shit. And I don't know. He's like a fucking dick. <laughs> and the fact that he just has a geographical monopoly of cock makes her think I should be totally screwing this dude. So long story short, she starts screwing this guy in really weird, creepy screw situations. Like, tell me I'm bad. Tell me I'm naughty. Tell me I'm dirty. <laughs> And as this movie progresses, we also have um, a sister of his come, and she's going to stay. Air quotes. quotes Who is hot if she was, like, in Lord of the Rings or Peter Pan. Like, (laughs) she looks like she needs to have little wings on her and a bow and arrow or something. Anyway, so this whole time, Peter the douchebag McGinty and um, Eva, his weird pixie sister, are like completely talking shit to Catherine about how having money is fucking stupid and anyone with money is just going to cause more problems and what she should do is give all of her money to the richest people she could find so the money won't fuck up any more people. And he's just like really condescending, but then he smiles a goofy smile and she somehow gets back doing the hurdy-gurdy with him. Well, this whole time, the sister's sitting on her too, talking about how hot that she is. And she's like, well, you know, you guys are young and have fun. Let's go have fun. So now they're at a club dancing to the song we heard just a little while ago. And two things start to ring true about Carol Baker, which you can pretty much see in anything she ever does. There are two things Carol Baker cannot do. One, 
is kiss and one is dance. <laughs> These are two things that she should never have to do because she has no fucking idea what she's doing. And they keep doing these close-up shots of her kissing, which basically is, I'm going to just sit here with my mouth shut. Yeah, rub it against yours. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to, it's not even that. It's like, if you want to rub your mouth against mine, go right ahead. But I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. She's awful. Like, and it's like this in every fucking movie. I'm trying to think of a movie I've seen her in where she's like getting into it. And this is just not in her acting wheelhouse. No. And I thought that was really her only flaw. But then she starts dancing. <laughs> and she's fucking awful. And when you see the kind of dancing these people are doing, you're like, how could anyone fuck this up? Right. It's like going to McDonald's. Like, you know, you're going to get the same fucking food every time. There's no way a chef at McDonald's is going to fuck up your Big Mac. You know, she it's is crazy. awful on the, the craziest floor. metaphor I've ever heard. <laughs> it's, it's right though. Right. Like it's always going to fucking taste the same. So right. <sighs> anyway, so as this is going, they start drugging her and they take pictures of her doing the Anage Montois, where's my watch? I think I lost it in your crotch. <laughs> and uh, then they start going, look, you're a stupid bitch and we're going to beat you up, but we don't want your fucking stupid money. We just want you. We want to live here with you. And then Carol Baker starts looking ragged. Yeah. And this is the funniest thing. I think she's hotter when she's all fucked up looking <laughs> than she's been in anything she's ever been in. She's got like, dark circles under her eyes. Her lips are like fucking purple. Right. And I'm like, damn, Carol Baker's bringing it. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, all these man. things happen. And you're sitting there going, how could she not fucking get out of this? do this, do that, do this, do that. And then there's these great scenes where she's like, okay, I'm going to get out of here. And she fucking pulls some shit. I don't know how far we want to get into like the shit, but it's like this up until this point, this movie is just like a middle of the road movie for me. Nothing's really happening. Carol Baker's awful. Right. But it's whatever. But then as soon as the shit starts getting crazy, this movie just starts to fucking keep climbing up the ladder for me. Like, one of the best scenes in it, if you haven't seen it, stop listening to us right now. But if you have seen it, you could agree with me here. One of the best scenes, she fucking gets her gun and she fucking shoots him. And she shoots him like twice, I think, and he falls down. And she runs out to the car, and I don't know what the fuck she's doing. She's like, oh, should I get my shit? Oh, I'm going to open the trunk. Maybe I can put his body in here with my fucking luggage and my mink. I don't know. I'm just some totally rich chick who could do whatever she wants as soon as I leave this gate. She goes, and the body's gone. And she's like, oh, my gosh. And she passes out and faints. And then like it's like the next day, and there's other people. And then you finally find out that he put blanks in her gun. Right. And so they're just trying to fucking drive her crazy. Yeah. And the whole time you're like going, dude, what is the motive here? Are these young hippies who are totally anti-establishment just like the Joker in the Dark Knight and just are like, sometimes you just want to watch the world burn. Right. Like, it's like <laughs> no motive. And you're like going, holy shit, these guys are just fucking nuts. Right. And there's all, the, all these times when you think she's going to fuck up and he's going to fuck up. But then all of a sudden, like she gets this um, 
like Telegram, or was it Telegram or a letter? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I don't think it matters. Right. But it, it basically says like, oh yeah, by the way, Brian, your only hope is dead. You're fucked. Love whoever sent this fucking letter or whatever. <laughs> And she's like fucking. She's like off the deep end now. She doesn't know what the fuck to do. Yeah, I mean, she at this point she she's she's out of her mind, whacked on J and B, and Rufy's, yeah. and she's been tortured by these two guys. Which is the other thing that's amazing in this movie. Whenever you want to have fun, or you're not feeling good, or you're having breakfast, or whatever, we're gonna get you the tallest glass we can. Put no ice in it. Fill it up with gin and and you're just gonna drink it. It's Unless, be okay. except for the few instances where they drank milk for some reason, they're sitting by the yeah. pool with a pitcher of milk. But that did you didn't... notice the consumption of JMB? Yeah, it was like it, it, it was, was off like the wall. Big glasses. I was like, that shit is so fucking hard to drink for me. Sure. Yeah, you're supposed to sip it. Woo. Anyway, so. <laughs> all sorts of shit's going on she has this case hidden up in the attic and then the case isn't there and we're not exactly sure what's in the case it's fucking crazy was that the tv thing she hid it behind the tv okay yeah all right i started to lose a little bit of a little bit uh, at that point but i I was still following it yeah and like right now i'm having a hard time remembering what was in the case but i know it was important or whatnot. I think it was the addendum to the will, which we'll talk about in a second. Right. So, and throughout this whole time, she's even going crazier because she keeps seeing this fucking dude with a club foot, like walking by the front gate, and, like looking in. And then we don't see him for a long ass time. Okay. And we never hear anything about her. He's there when she lands, he follows her around in the beginning and then like kind of just vanishes off the face of the earth. So she somehow manages to get outside right as the car is pulling up. Someone gets out of the car. And who is it? Oh, my God, it's Brian. He's not dead. This whole thing was a ruse. He's going to be able to help save her or whatever. And then she, like, falls off the roof or something like that. And the two people, Pete and Ava, they come out, and they're like, oh, shit. Brian just caught us. What are we going to do now? And then the second that no one said anything, I'm like, Oh They're shit! Right. Yep. Something's not stirring in the Kool Aid. Something's about to happen right now. They're all in on it. Yeah. And probably the best part is he picks her up and <laughs> fucking tosses her off another roof. Yep. Just to make sure she's down. dead. And that was seriously the most cold-blooded fucking thing that happened in that whole fucking movie. Like just the way he tossed her and how she landed. Yeah. I was like, oh shit! Now, if the movie were to end right there. That would have been, hands down, the darkest fucking movie of this genre that I have ever seen. Like, there was really not a lot of fun. There wasn't a lot of play. It was just dark as shit. But then, like most of these movies, they keep going and like, ah, fuck. So, yeah, I I mean, I really don't think that, that the culture at the time was ready to have a movie that ended that abruptly and that that coldly i mean they really had to then go to the next step where they started resolving all this stuff and letting you understand who's who and and what the motives are because people you know needed to have explanations crazy because at this moment i didn't even need explanations i'm like everyone's in on it it doesn't fucking matter right this is crazy but then they do explain stuff and it works and it fits together even stronger but 
so I'm like going, okay, any second now, Carol Baker's going to bust through the door with some fucking cop. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> they go to the lawyer's office and Brian's like, okay, kids, take this Jaguar and just drive around like fucking idiots. I'm going to go inside <laughs> and talk to the lawyers. Okay, pops, no problem. Well, it turns out these little fuckers did want money and they were just pretending to be anti-establishment hippies of the late 60s. These kids were the Manson family. Right. Not the Woodstock people. But they tricked you into thinking they were the Woodstock kind of hippies that are fun and just like to have sex and do drugs. But they were the Charles Manson kind of hippies that are fucking nuts and bonkers. <laughs> so Brian goes in and he finds out um, that the dude with the club foot actually works for the insurance agency. And it turns out that I don't even remember what. Yeah, it's it's they, it's kind of great for me, not, too. He's not getting the money. The kids aren't getting the money. He's fucked. They're doing a full investigation because it turns out that he's the one who killed the husband in the first place. Well, something I try to get all this money. The thing I remember is the husband died, but the husband did some sort of a change to his either will or his insurance at the last minute, which basically meant that. Um, Betty, is it is it Betty, or Woodbury, whoever Carol Baker's, um, Catherine, Catherine, <laughs> where I got Betty from. Um, so cat, like something about how Catherine wasn't really going to get that stuff anyway. And then I like that little flashback that they did at the end where he asked her to sign something that was completely blank and said, yeah, I'll, yeah. Get it, I'll get it typed up later when I get back to the office. <laughs> Just sign this I paper. I didn't catch that. <laughs> I didn't catch that when it happened. And when it shows that it was the blank piece of paper, and she's like, okay, yeah, whatever, sure, fine. Right. I she was like, holy it. shit, that yeah. motherfucker is sneaky as shit. And then Chris's favorite part of the movie, I'm sure, the kids in the Jaguar turn a corner too fast and crash <laughs> in the back of a trash truck. And um, they're obviously both dead. Right. So, um, not really suicide, accidental death. I'm sure they got a couple points for that. Yeah, so that that may be why this film got a 51 over the 46 of the other one. Because um, So Sweet, So Perverse kind of ends very Im- ambiguously. Um, whereas this one ends with, you know, you pretty much figured that Brian's going to get in, in trouble because they're going to investigate and they, these guys die because they get in a car crash. And I think it was, it was alluded to that he was their uncle, or at least they called him uncle. Like maybe he wasn't necessarily really related to them, but it was like, you know, uncle Brian. Um, But yeah, I, I, uh, you know, and and again, at this particular stage in the history of films, you know, not only do does the audience want some explanation, but I think they also want to see that the bad guys don't necessarily get away with it, or at least as was the um, the style or the formula for these films at the time, the bad guys never got away with it. So, I mean, it just shows you the seriousness of everything because this ends on a total serious note, and then five dollars for an August Moon ends the way that does, right. which is kind of like a tongue in cheek, like. Yeah, well, haha. Right. You know, fuck you, whatever. Like, yeah, I'll and, leave you in jail and take take my money. It's just, yeah, it's just so different. Like, 
Bava to Lindsay. Like, so, like, miles different. But, like, honestly, like, I was shocked when Carol Baker didn't come back. I was like, you got to be kidding me. If that's how she goes, that's it. Like, and it's all Finn. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. But, yeah. There's there's, uh, there's a really cool shot of her kind of, I think, blurred in the background. And she's staring at that full glass of J&B. And she's got her hand out. And the the camera's, like, got a close-up of the glass. And she's got her hand out and she's and she's moving towards it and she's got that that makeup on that makes her look like she's dead and everything and she's she's like yeah. you know she's running for that bottle or that glass because it's like her only hope for just for sure. you know for 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 um for easing the pain of whatever was going on but i i like the film um a lot i i liked it because it was insane and it 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 just every scene kind of amped it up another notch and another notch and another notch. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like um, some of these films, they have like a couple of really interesting set pieces. And then the rest of the film is a little bit more like, you know, exposition and, you know, we're going to develop the script here and kind of this, this wasn't like that. This was more like exactly what it was like to be alive in 1969, which is, there's no rhyme or reason. We don't know what time it is. It's not morning. It's not evening. We're just partying. We're drinking milk. We're drinking J and B. We're going for a swim. We're listening to um, whatever that guy's name was, Wes and the something somethings singing, you know, <laughs> that one song over and over and over again. Oh my God. They played it so much and they thought it was so funny, but again, it was used <coughs> economically, but used as like a, like, okay, we're going to drive her crazy. How much money do we have for music? Not a lot. Get one song. We'll make it. We'll stretch it out. We'll make it last. You know, it's <laughs> just like watch brilliant. The, if you watch the third film, it shows up again. So, because in Paranoia, the second Paranoia, they go out to the dance club and it's the same song. It's the just the Tell Me song again. Is it the same club? It looks like the same club, yes. Because I think that club is the same club, like the one in um, Orgasmo is the same club that um, George Hilton saw um, the black chick beat that dude up in in case of the Bloody Iris. Yeah, that looks, that seems, sure that seems familiar. Room. But um, yeah, dude, I don't know. Like, uh, it's, there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about with this, but I feel like a lot of it would also be good to talk about with um, So Sweet, So Perverse. So if you want to go ahead and take that. Um, why? I want to know why we need to talk about So Sweet, So Perverse. Why? 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 Um, why do we run in circles not knowing which way Why do we doubt the future when we belong to each other?
Here we are. Because we just listened, we just listened to that Harry song. Puckett and the Union Gap obviously did that. Oh, so good. Did I just do that? Okay, I'm back. I, I can't believe I haven't. I could I'm, listen to that song for days. It's my turn to talk. Why? I know that now that it's my turn to talk, my computer will I think crash. Chris frozen. Oh, wait, there he is. See, no, I knew that was going to happen. He's not. Oh, there he is. He's back. I knew that it was going to happen. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, bah, I got gotcha. you. All right, cool. Um, hey, why did that happen? Why did I almost crash? Why can I never crash again? Um, so funny. So uh, we move on, and Lindsay was clearly not happy with the idea that he was just going to put one film out. Um, he really wanted to make a, a, a splash on the scene, obviously. And so the second film to come out, um, this film, the Orgasmo film, I think came out in the first quarter of 1969 or maybe somewhere between February and March, I think. And the second film, So Sweet, So Perverse, comes out um, in October and actually released in Italy on the 31st of October, 1969. So it's Umberto Lenzi's second installment in his sexy thriller series uh, featuring Carol Baker. And just as an aside, Carol Baker it doesn't do anything for me at all. Um, we talk about the ladies of the giallo. Uh, we talk about Edwidge. We talk about uh, Barbara Boucher. Um, and clearly, um, Carol Baker is, should be considered one of the giallo um, ladies. And she doesn't do anything for me, and I'm not exactly sure why. We talked about it when we did Knife of Ice. She just reminds me of a cross between June Cleaver and Gidget, and you know, just the, the 50s um, mom kind of thing. She just doesn't. She's not sexy in any way, as far as she's I'm concerned. She's really pretty and got great hair. She's pretty, yes. Um, That's but, better. There's nothing. There's nothing that, that I'm interested in when I watch. Like I'm not. There's, there's no intrigue. Yeah. She, she, she. Yeah. Exactly. She's very plain, flat, one-dimensional kind of actress looking. <clears throat> but again, another film with her, <clears throat> directed by Umberto Lenzi, of course. This time, the music is done by Riz uh, Ortolani. Now, I think it was. The guy who did the music for Five Dollars for an August Moon did Orgasmo, if I'm not mistaken. That Pierre uh, fucking Ulumani. Per Peeper Ulumani. Yeah. I don't know why I could never do his first name. It's Umilani. Umilani. Piero Umilani. And I really Piero. Li Piero. And I really like the, the soundtrack for Orgasmo. I also really like the soundtrack for Five Dolls for an August Moon. So, Hell yeah. Um, very cool stuff. But this time Riz is involved. 
And the the film opens up with our main character. His name is Jean Renaud. 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 He's French. Um, driving, and I had to look this up because I had to do some research. I wanted to make sure I got it right. He's driving what appears to be a 1969 Pontiac Firebird Sprint. Um, I'm saying that because I did enough research on the front grill of the car, <clears throat> and I could tell it was a Pontiac, and yeah. the, the year of the film, they probably got a brand new car for this thing. Um, and so I think that's the car. So if you look up 1969 Pontiac Firebird Sprint Yellow, you'll see a picture of the car that I think is very close to the one that's in this film. So he's driving through Paris. Uh, he's got this rifle in the back seat, and we're treated to this um, a little over-the-top song called Why. And if you are familiar with any of Lindsay's other films, um, the end scene of Seven Bloodstained Orchids, this same song is played in an instrumental version. Um, and it, it's like the theme of the whole fucking movie. Right. And, and Riz did the soundtrack for this other film too. So um, they're basically just kind of, you know, reworking some of their main themes. Now, interestingly enough, the, this song called Why is sung by this guy named J. Vincent Edwards. He was British and he was very well known for his, uh, one of, he was an actor in the hair movie or the, the movie version of the play, I guess. Um, he had a single, he had a bunch of singles. The most popular one was called Thanks. I listened to it and I never heard it before today. So it wasn't really that popular. And the, the <laughs> At least, you know, it didn't, it didn't um, stand the test of time, let's put it that way. Uh, lyrics for this song were written by someone named Norman Newell, who was a huge Grammy Award winning, Emmy Award winning, and Golden Globe Award winning songwriter and producer. Um, so that's a really weird, interesting piece of trivia. He wrote the lyrics, Ordelani wrote the music, and it was sung by this J. Vincent Edwards character. The, the, the song itself is used throughout the film and the lyrics have to do with, you know, um, why do we not, you know, just admit to each other that we're in love and why, you know, sh sh could, could we live our lives without love, but would it really be living and it's, it's very theatrical and it's very kind of, the song itself kind of reminds you of, I, I don't, it, it reminds me of something specific and I can't put my... My, my finger on it to, to, ex, it to express it. Lot, it sounds a lot like Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. Okay. So like, I was going like, to say, young girl. And yeah. Okay. Woman, I was going to say Tom woman. Jones. Yeah. There you Tom go. Jones. Kind of so it's, it's got that, and maybe it's, it's, maybe it's premature to make this comment, but um, the film, according to IMDb at least, this particular film does not have a listing for when it was ever released in the United States, um, which I find to be really interesting because number one, the film has an English soundtrack. So at some point it needed to be exported and it needed to be exported for English speaking audiences. But more importantly, the film has so many kind of American um, influences between them. You know, you got the muscle car, um, 
You've got um, the British and American musical references. Um, this international cast, including Carol Baker, who was an American actress. So I'm not sure if I have all my info right. I don't know why this this film was never released in in the in the U.S. Or maybe it was. I don't know. Um, well, I don't know if it ever was, but um, just because it has a, an American soundtrack, that could just mean that they did it to try to sell it and they couldn't sell it. Oh, okay. I think there's I don't a, know why they on it. <laughs> I think maybe there's a. I know there's a Roger Ebert review of Orgasmo when it first came out, but I don't think there's one for this. So, anyway, the film follows the same kind of sexy thriller idea. Jean Renard and his wife Danielle Renard. Um, they live in this flat in um, an urban area in Paris. Um, the, the film opens up with this weird kind of montage of him driving by himself down the road in this muscle car with the um, rifle in the back seat, and then eventually you realize that the rifle is just used for skeet shooting. And he's at this uh, large estate, um, and he's doing target practice. Um, and the woman uh, who lives and owns the house that he, where he's where he's visiting, and her husband, he's having an affair with her. Um, and they talk about going on safari together and all kinds of weird stuff. And then um, he makes his way back to his apartment in Paris. And um, we are introduced to the idea that there's a flat above the flat where he lives that they originally wanted to buy and um, expand and, and blow out the ceiling so that they could have a two-story flat. But someone else has just bought it, um, sight unseen, quote unquote. And it turns out that this is the Carol Baker character, and her name is Nicole. According to IMDb, her last name is Perrier, like the the like the seltzer water. Um, and she has moved in upstairs. So um, Jean and Danielle, they kind of have this loveless marriage. Um, she knows that he's cheating on her. Um, she doesn't care, or she does, but she, you know things are too far gone at this point um and so immediately jean um gets interested in what's going on in the flat above and um i think there are a, a few a few of these segments where he goes to investigate but one of them he hears noises he hears screams or cries or distress and so he runs up and tries to break in and he finds just this weird uh, assortment of 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 things that really don't go together, like medieval torture devices and weapons and red velvet and some weird stuff. And then all of a sudden, Nicole um, pops it's her like head out of this room. Sex dungeon. Yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of both. It's like sexy stuff and torture stuff, but but a little bit on the um, dangerous side. And uh, so eventually, Nicole pokes her head out of this uh, bedroom and she's very timid and she's acting like, you know, um, please leave me alone. I'm this, you know, battered, uh, frail and um, distressed woman. Leave me alone. And um, but but John, you know, persists, and eventually he tracks her down to this other location where he hears her fighting with this man's voice. Um, and I think it was like some sort of a photo lab or something where they were where he tracked them to um yeah he's he's out with his wife and he's driving her to work and he drops her off and then he sees 
Nicole, the Carol Baker character, walking. And so he follows her, and then he follows her to some some place. And, and the the two places kind of look very similar, like the place where he lives and this place where she and this the the man character who who eventually becomes known as Klaus. Um, where they work this photo lab. They look the same, they have the same kind of elevator, they have the same kind of stairwell. So if you're not paying close attention, you think it's all the same location, but I don't think it was. Um, so eventually he, he, he goes up to this door, um, the door to the office to this photo lab and Carol Baker comes out, Nicole comes out and she says, take me away from all this. And so they have this kind of, um, they have this kind of, uh, several minutes of different scenes where they're just kind of developing this relationship where he wants to take her away and rescue her from Klaus and um, they decide that they're going to go away to some seaside um, to this uh, this this seaside location and, and Jean eventually falls in love with her and um, she you know she tells him that you know she's under Klaus's you know, spell and his, you know, because he's, he's so, uh, he's so dumb, you know, he's such, such, such a dominant force in her life and he tells her what to do. And so she tricked him into coming out here and, and Klaus is going to try to kill him. And she brings up these ideas about uh, ransom money or not ransom money, but um, uh, money that they're going to be paid or that Klaus is going to get paid for killing Jean and all this kind of weird stuff that really didn't make much sense. Um, but eventually um, they go back to Paris and um, they go to a party at the same house that they go to in the beginning where he's skeet shooting. And there's this weird interlude where this black girl does this weird strip tease, which was awful, very out of place and terrible. Yeah. And eventually, um, Jean tells Danielle that he wants a divorce. Um, and then they go back to their house. Now, um, just as an aside, we're at about 57 minutes of the film at this point. Um, all of this has happened over a very long and tiring and boring, as far as I'm concerned, stretch of time. Um, the next part of the film, which I guess you're going to call it act two, because there's really only two acts in this thing, uh, involves um, all the things that happened to Jean and the other three people. Klaus, who is this kind of weird looking guy who um, he played um, Braun, I think, in Cat of Nine Tales. Um, and of course nicole's character and then danielle who's actually in on this plot to kill jean <clears throat> so they're back at the house jean hears a noise up in nicole's flat and goes back up to investigate again and he starts fighting with klaus and klaus stabs him to death um and from here um and i i'm not good with this particular reference because i've never seen the film but all of the reviews that i've read say that this is basically a rehash of the diabolique film from yeah. the 50s um and the idea behind that film was that there were these two women who were connected to each other in that uh the one's husband was fooling around with the other and um they both plot to kill this guy um together and then something happens where 
his body is never found and then one of them thinks that he really hasn't been killed and then it turns out that they double crossed one of the two women and the the man and you know the, the the male character and the female character had plotted to get revenge against one of the females so basically the same thing happens so in this particular case that's really spoiling too much here um because we don't again the same thing in 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 orgasmo happens here where nothing is really unmasked you don't there's not an unknown person who gets revealed at the end it's more about we don't know what these people's motives are and when we get to the end of the film it gets explained but it's the same characters that we've been watching and looking at um throughout this whole time so it turns out that danielle and nicole are lovers they want to get rid of jean to collect his life insurance um nicole hires klaus to kill jean um so that and, and he, you know with the promise of getting some a, a cut of the insurance money um and they burn jean's body purposely so that he'll be unrecognizable and so danielle has to identify the the body but she really can't because he's just a charred corpse and then the next part of the film is basically these little instances where Nicole and Klaus are trying to trick Danielle into believing that Jean really isn't dead and that Jean is coming and threatening her with a cigarette case and with the lipstick on the mirror. And eventually she gets driven crazy and um, she thinks that Jean has come back and Jean points a gun at her, but it's not really Jean, it's just Klaus. And it turns out that it's just Nicole and Klaus who have uh, put this scheme together to get the insurance money for themselves. And at and the very his assets right and at the very end of the film they're on the plane and it turns out that that the detective who was called in to kind of find out what happened to danielle when she was shot doesn't necessarily believe what happened to be true and so he starts kind of tailing the nicole character as they leave on a plane to go away and that's how the film ends. There's no real One resolution. Of the best endings I've ever seen. <laughs> really? I thought it was that awful. Was so oh no, dude! Because like you know, like she's fucked. She's always gonna have this guy following her the rest of her life. Now she got what she wanted, but she's completely fucked. And, and one misstep, and she's in the slammer, and she knows it. Yeah. So Klaus is, that, is calm as shit. He's like, yeah, whatever. Well, there. See, and this is the thing. I don't know if you watched the same version as I did. In that very last scene, when they're on the plane seats, she starts saying something about how you better be nice to me, because you know, blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden, it goes to Italian, and she says something else. And I think there's a little bit of explanation there. And then all of a sudden, Klaus starts talking about, "Let's face it, you're on the run. He's he's right behind you. You you can't make a mistake, or you're going to be dead." You know. Um, I don't think mine did that. Okay, so I don't know really why my copy of that. So my copy, um, which I obtained kind of nefariously, and I won't mention exactly how, but it's a fan dub. So somebody found uh, a very, very well done video copy, um, vi you know, video transfer of the film in Italian, and then grabbed. Uh, a really crappy copy of the film with English language and went and just kind of merged them together and and synced it up. Um, and so I owe a debt of gratitude to whoever that person was, some somebody who did it for their, for, as a labor of love to, you know, get this as an English 
the English language soundtrack because I mean in the case of um, Carol Baker I think she did her own soundtrack so it's it was really a lot more um, legitimate that voice is always the voice that you they use whenever Carol Baker's on screen so I'd have to think that it's really hers yeah I think so too. which is awful when you think about it because she's so freaking wooden yeah she she's really, like oh, thank you yeah, yeah. The so, best line in the whole movie, though, is when she told that fucking landlady, she's like, you guys need to, and she's like, shut up. And then <laughs> walked the girl out when they went to Klaus's apartment. Oh, I was like, my favorite, you are amazing. My favorite line in the movie is at the very end where she says something like, if you're thinking about playing the detective, perhaps you should go on television or something like that. I thought that I thought that was very a, a very good like representation of the, the genre in, in, in general. Um, but we get to the end of this film and I watched it twice. The first time I watched it, I was bored to tears. The second time I watched it, I got a little bit more out of it. I appreciated the fact that Lindsay really kind of upped it from a production value standpoint. Um, Orgasmo was really just filmed in one location with kind of the idea of it just being hyper ridiculous. Whereas with this, it was a little bit more calculated. The sets were done well, the camera angles and the, the production design and all that was done really well. But um, I just felt like the movie went and paced so slowly. And there really wasn't a lot of twists and turns. It was like, okay, you knew it was Klaus and you knew it was Klaus and then it turned out to be Klaus and then you knew it was Klaus and then it turned out to be Klaus. It was like, there's no real twist. But the thing was, you, you needed to find out who was paying Klaus to kill him. Like that was, because the, the problem here is, is that A, when she tells him, oh yeah, somebody this Klaus guy wanted me to get close to you so he could kill you. That's the dumbest fucking plan <laughs> in the history of fucking dumb plans. Right. But um, once that's done and you find out what really was going on, then you're like, oh, okay, so it was a stupid story just to keep him occupied. That's fine. Right, right. So that part um, was smart, for sure. But, like, the guy who accidentally shot him a little bit got a little bit of buckshot in his neck at the shooting range. Yeah. You know, like, there were a lot of people who they were trying to allude to could be the one who actually hired Klaus to kill him. But when you really think about it, yeah, his wife is probably suspect number one. But, I, I mean, I didn't... Once once we got to the point in the film where it was, like, Danielle and Nicole on the bed together and they were just talking about, you know, what's going to happen next... I didn't think of anybody else. Like the whole the whole thing that they did in the beginning with this Helen person and the affair and the skeet shooting and Is she the chick he was banging at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, at the very beginning. Like I, I was, was so pissed that she wasn't in it more. She was in the party scene. Right. Yeah, she was great. She was the best looking one in the whole movie. But I mean what what I mean, like you said, maybe the idea was let's throw these characters in here because if you're still kind of dumb and you don't realize that it's just these three people uh, that are just in, in on it together, 
<clears throat> you might think, well, maybe that other woman who he was having an affair with has something to do with it. But I didn't get that. I immediately got to the point where after he was stabbed and after Danielle goes and identifies his body, now we get to the point where it's just the two of them and they're talking about how they just have to pay off Klaus and let him go away and then they can go away and do their thing as the lesbian couple. Um, and then suddenly she starts to get these... Um, threatening messages that maybe hint at the idea that Jean isn't really dead, but I didn't believe that for a second. I just knew kind of right off the bat. And I hadn't seen the film before and I'd never seen Diabolique before. I mean, maybe, you know, it's just the, the culture of having seen enough of these films anyway to know, you know, what's true and, 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 and what may be more of a mystery. Um, but I didn't believe for a second that it was anybody be besides you know, uh, uh, Klaus and Nicole, like trying to basically, you know, make her go crazy. I totally thought that he wasn't dead. And yeah. you know that bit, like when he, cause you don't see him get stabbed. You see the arm come up mm -hmm. and you're like, oh my God, when they were fighting, Klaus, Klaus was wearing a black leather jacket and Jean was wearing a white shirt and that arm, it's got a white shirt on it. But yeah, that Jean part was won. cool. And, and then he stands up. It was like a total torso thing. Like yeah. he stands up and you're like, oh shit, he has a white shirt on under his black jacket. Fuck. <laughs> and then like, you never see him again. So then I thought, I'm like, oh, so in reality, Jean set this whole thing up so he could get his wife killed so he could have all this money. And then I'm like, why would he play himself to play them? But in my head, I came up with this huge conspiracy right. as to how it was Jean who paid Klaus to pretend to kill him then kill his wife. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is tits. This is amazing. And it didn't end up being that way. No. But that part was cool. I do, I, I have to give it to you there. Like, you didn't know, you know, you saw the knife and the hand come up and you didn't know who it was. It's kind of like what they did in um, Bay of Blood at the very end where um, there was like that kind of final showdown in the dark. And yeah. and the shape, the shadow shape comes back up and you can't really tell if it's the one guy or the other guy until, you know, he comes out at the end. And it's the same, you know, like you said, in Torso, it's the same deal. But- Well, um, I kind of thought too that they were gonna do some like Mrs. Voorhees thing. Like at the very end, there was gonna be some asshole from his work who was like, oh yes, I'm the insurance adjuster. <laughs> I paid Klaus because when I was a child, Jean beat me or something stupid like that. Right. I was just waiting for yeah. the most asinine fucking thing to that's pop the, up as a fucking motive and shit. That's the but, slasher. Uh, go, go on, dude. I don't mean to keep cutting you off. I'm just all excited. No, no, it's okay. I mean, um, like I said, I didn't really find the, the story per particularly perplexing and and I didn't think it was it was that you know hard to follow. I just thought it was kind of like, yeah, this is what's going on here. Um, so I, I'm not a fan of it. I don't I, I don't uh, give it a high recommendation compared to uh, Orgasmo. I really liked Orgasmo better than this one. Um, I I liked. I don't know which one I like better. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe so sweet, so perverse is kind of a slow grow on you kind of a thing. And, you know, these films uh, in general, 
um, they become your favorites for different reasons. Like the reason why you like Bay of Blood is for a completely different reason than the reason why you like Tenebrae, for example. Um, so maybe this film will end up becoming a favorite of mine for the things that I do like about it. And I can kind of skip over the things I don't like, but for now, Although I liked Bay of Blood and Tenebrae originally for the same reason, which was score. Oh yeah. Okay. Like the score on both of those got me to go ahead and watch it again. Kind of right. Thing. Yeah. That, that's a good point. And the score and, and the music in this is really good. So, um, that that definitely has something you know it, it for these movies the, the 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 soundtrack and the 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 original music that's composed really do have a lot to do with how you feel about watching the movie more than once um and for someone who's watched seven bloodstained orchids a hundred times i'm sure that the theme of this movie will start to grate on you a little yeah. bit because it's so familiar and you're like fucking hell yeah and like the whole if you because the first time i watched this i remember going i fucking know that song what fucking song is it right exactly jesus christ i know that song what fucking song is it i'm singing along with it right i know this song that little that little song with the flute that plays like that little kind of sexy like jazzy flute thing i think that's also in seven bloodstained organs but i can't i can't remember it just seems like it's Lindsay, it's Riz Ortolani, so they probably recycled a lot of that stuff because they could. There was nobody telling them not to. Now, do you remember there was one scene, and this is the scariest guy in both movies. There's a scene where um, Jean is walking a group of men through his medicine factory or whatever. Right. And one of these men is like an albino, and he's completely bald. And he's holding a briefcase, but the hand that he's holding the briefcase with has a black leather glove on it, but his other hand doesn't. Huh. And he has like old man glasses. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking I about? I don't remember that at all. Dude, he was terrifying. And the whole time, I'm like, <laughs> he's going to come back. I bet this is all his doing. Right. He was just like the most terrifying fucking human being. I'm like, oh, that guy's a fucking killer. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like for the time and for the fact that you know we don't have a lot of these films in this style in the in, in the felone of um blood and black lace we don't have a lot of these films out yet and so the idea that you know let's throw out a huge number of little characters that can act as red herrings or just act as you know they they fill kind of the they fill the positions of just suspicious looking and maybe we're going to come back to them later. Like that doesn't show up a lot in these, in, in these Lindsay films that Lindsay really concentrated on, um, focusing on three or four characters and kind of developing them out a little bit more, I think. Which is great. Like, I love that. And like, I really think like the only part of this that was awkward for me, I think is when Danielle, was having flashbacks and conversations she had with Jean. Yeah. Because that, I'm like, oh, is he with the other girl? Is that Helen? Or right. like, I was getting like totally fucking confused. I was going to bring but, that up too. And I totally forgot. Yes. It, it's the same. Like they didn't really, they didn't really do it where the audience is supposed to understand that they're flashing back. So 
<clears throat> it just it just like rough cuts to Jean's alive and the phone rings and he's pretending like no I'm not here just say I'm not here and then she says the factory's on fire and you're like what the fuck's going, going on here yeah, <laughs> yeah he's like, I everybody gets out everybody's safe I took out the insurance we'll be fine. Um, and that happened like three or four times there's a scene where she's driving down the road like a crazy woman he's telling her to slow down but this is just all in her mind like kind of building the case for why he's still alive and yeah why she, you know, driving her crazy, like, you know, getting further and further into that psychosis thing. I think the most well done thing in this movie, though, was when he would go upstairs to um, Nicole's apartment. We would cut to Danielle in the apartment downstairs, and she would like look up and like watch as the foot as the footsteps <laughs> went across the room, and she could know when they go into the bedroom. And right. then she's like, her heart's torn out. Yeah. Like, that shit, I was like, oh my god, that's fucking good. And I'm you sure like this was not the first time that's been done. But I was just right. like... But the little weird sex torture dungeon that never got brought up again. Right. Like, what the fuck was that about? Like, that was just one of those, like... Well, I think it was a tease because the, the film itself was called so sweet so perverse so this was supposed yeah. to be the hint of the perversion part which really the perversion part was the psychopathic hey let's kill people for money not necessarily sex toys but um yeah interesting but the thing about like these jolly as a whole that i really really love and you get with a lot of directors from the 70s like no matter where they are um but the fact that they have like a muse and i know it probably wasn't like he's like "Ooh, i want to do carol baker i'm gonna put her in a bunch of my movies it's just that they'll have like a group of actors martino does this too and i love it they have like a group of actors that are like their go-to bunch right so when you watch these movies you already feel like a kinship with them because you recognize all of these people you know they've all been in like seven other movies that you've seen and it's there's just like this not calm but like it's just there's something about it that just makes it so comforting and i really fucking like that and the idea that both of these movies their main character is both killed like two-thirds of the way through the films right i mean orgasmo was a little bit longer but just the fact that they're killing their main characters off right it's like so fucking psycho to an extent like a nod but like i'm sure that still wasn't something that was everywhere you know what i'm saying and he just doesn't give a shit like his main characters are fucking never safe it's just good shit dude i i I enjoyed both of these a lot i think in this in this particular case if you look at psycho um it was really i mean you know of course the answer to this is well duh of course you know we all agree (laughs) i think that it was done really well the Hitchcock did a really well, a really good job of establishing how much we had invested our emotion in the Marion Crane character. 
And then when she gets killed halfway through the film, you're just like, you don't know what to do. As a, as a viewer of Psycho, you don't know who to latch onto, you don't know who to root for. With with these other films, it's it's kind of the same cool idea, let's kill off our main character. But I don't think that, you know, as a, as a member of the audience, I invested as much um, emotion in Jean or um, Catherine in Orgasmo as you would, you know, and, and, we're, and we're talking about- Jean's not very likable. No, so that's not. And neither is, and and neither I mean, is I, Catherine. She's not like Well, I mean, you can feel sorry for her, but... Before, but, like, I mean, his, his, like, his character, I think, is better in this than it was in Death Laid an Egg. Right. You know what I'm saying? But, like, <coughs> I don't know. That's just my bit on it. But, you know, and then the next thing that happens is, I believe, um, I don't know exactly when... Um, Perversion story came out, but every that was time I seven. also also, also sixty nine according to IMDb. So 69. April, uh, let's see here, release date. Just uh, humor me for a minute while I look this up. Release dates. Okay, so so the middle of August 1969 is Perversion Story. And so what, two and a half months or a month and a half later, we have So Sweet, uh, So Perverse. Um, and you've got the same kind of thing. You've got this muscle car. In, in Perversion Story, it was a silver Corvette, and they were driving around in San Francisco. Um, but, you know, I, I, I so, so I, I always think of... When I when I watch these films, I always think of um, Fulci's Perversion Story, which I like a lot more than either of these two. Um, but but um, I was gonna say um, I, I I forgot my point. Oh, and so so you have you have the the missing piece of the puzzle here is um, Jean Sorel, the actor who was in uh, Perversion Story who plays the lead role in the third of these Lenzi films called Paranoia, A Quiet Place to Kill. And I really like him in that film, in the third Lenzi film. I think he's, yeah. he's his character is really cool. Um, and I think that's, you know, not to give too much away for the next time, but I think that's really what makes the third one my favorite of the three, simply because he's more watchable, he's more likable. The guy who, the, the Luke Castell guy who plays Brian, or not Brian, who plays um, wh whatever the guy's name is in Orgasmo. He's he's not he really did. watchable. Um, oh, he's this, a boy. And this Jean, um, this this guy who plays Jean in So Sweet, So Perverse, he's not really that likable either. So no. I think Lindsay kind of hit the peak of all of this with the next one to come out. Um, but I do like, you know, I do appreciate, you know, some of the elements of both of these films that are you know setting up the tropes that are setting up some of the signatures that you know are even argento would, would borrow from and if you listen to some of Lindsay's interviews he always talks about how argento stole the idea from him and he invented the giallo before argento ever yeah. did yeah he always he always says that because he's like you know he, he invented the cannibal movie he invented the zombie movie he invented he invented all these things you know they came second 
in some Even certain state. Margarine. Yeah. Yeah. And tuna spread. <laughs> um, are you going to talk about Santino? Or why do I keep saying that? Sergio Martino. Mm. Did you have anything to say about him? No. Okay. Because this is one of the things that I think is probably the coolest shit about So Sweet, So Perverse. Um, Sergio Martino was, and his brother were the producers on So Sweet, So Perverse. And Sergio Martino um, helped in writing the script for this. But basically, this is the film that was the um, practice run of doing a remake of Diabolique for them. Because then he would go on immediately after this and do his own version of So Sweet, So Perverse called The Strange Vice of Miss Ward. Right. And um, which obviously is a better film. Like, yeah. I don't think we need to. There's no, de- no de- there's no debate on that, but you're right, though. <laughs> I, I never realized. It's really interesting. I never realized how many films bite off the idea of this Diabolique thing where. And again, I don't know if that's. You know, it starts with Hitchcock, who put out a film where the two people decide that they're going to crisscross murders. And then that evolves into two people who really shouldn't be friends with each other decide to get together to to knock off somebody else that they both uh, will benefit from if they're dead. I think that's what Well, Diabolique if I recall correctly, Diabolique was such a huge hit that Hitchcock was pissed off because they were saying this guy's the next Hitchcock <clears throat> and he's like fuck that I'm the fucking next Hitchcock I'm still Hitchcock right. and he fuck was inspired you, yeah no no he was inspired to do Psycho because of Diabolique oh, okay like just the whole the simple um, using his TV crew instead of like a film production to do it, finance it himself, and all sorts of other shit. It's like, do you like we owe so much to this one little movie that no one's ever really seen. They did a remake of it with Sharon Stone that was, and according to me, awesome. I remember that. I saw it when I was a kid, and I thought like it was fun and sexy and scary, but um, I don't know, dude. It's just like that movie. Seen the original. Yeah. And it's just this one movie just did so much to the genre, to this, to horror, to everything. Like a lot of things will just like filter back down to that film. It's weird. Interesting. I think I have a copy of it somewhere. I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's on either Netflix or YouTube. Cool. So, yeah. Watch away, people. And speaking of Psycho, um, let's say, what is today? Uh, Tuesday, the, um, sorry, the uh, 23rd. So next Thursday, the 3rd of March, um, there's a theater uh, in Philly that's doing a Psycho screening, so I'm going get, to get to go see that. So 
I'm pretty excited. Never saw Psycho on a big screen before, so. Oh, nice. That'll be fun. I, I, I actually I, just finished watching season three of Bates Motel. Very oh, okay. interesting. Like I watched, show. I start the beginning of that. It looked pretty interesting. First season was weird. First, like, eight episodes were great, and then the rest of the episodes for that season were really <coughs> dull. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, well, that's what we do here. So, anything else to, to talk? I think we're, I think we've covered the first half of this Lindsay, a little Lindsay, and I, and as, as long as you're okay with it, and as long as uh, our listeners are okay with it, I think we're going to they're going to have to fucking be They're going to have to be okay with it because they really don't have a say. Um, they used to have a say when Eric was part of the group. Their say has been taken. <laughs> or at least now. We're going to um, just keep going and do the next two Lindsay films for our next episode. So um, the Paranoia slash uh, Quiet Place to Kill and Oasis of Fear, also known as An Ideal Place to Kill. Um, and that brings us um, to, I think, covering every Lindsay Jolly except for Spasmo on this program. No. There's yep. got to be another two, isn't there? We uh, Well, after this is uh, Knife of Ice, Seven Bloodstained mm-hmm. Orchids, Spasmo, and Eyeball. And, Shit. Uh, I think that's it. So we, I think we've covered. What about that? What about that one that's kind of a uh, poliziochetchko? That um, human something, <laughs> almost human, or Can you say that again. Poliziochetchko. I don't know. I remember that. what it's called. It's. Um, I think there's a couple of his. Well, I guess that's like skirting the edge there, but. Um, Let's see. We've got. Um, was it, I would assume it came after, right? Yeah, it's either right before Eyeball or right after Eyeball. I can't remember exactly. Well, this is a film called Almost Human, and a film called The Manhunt. Almost Human is one of them, though. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. I think. Yeah, the original title has the word Polizia in it, so. <clears throat> no fucking around there. Yeah, it seems to me that, uh, you know, uh, Lindsay followed suit with everybody else, and when they got to the point where 75 rolled around, they said, okay, well, let's I'm bring sure in... he invented the Polizio He did. He invented, he invented everything. Yeah. He invented Quentin Tarantino and all sorts <laughs> of other stuff. <laughs> Just ask Quentin. He'll tell you. But you know, Lindsay is you know, Lindsay is great for being Lindsay, and it's sometimes it's hard to understand that the guy who made Orgasmo and So Sweet So Perverse is the same guy who made um, Make Them Die Slowly, the um, cannibal film. So I mean, you know, it's. Uh, you know, as far as it being a little bit more tasteful, you know, these quote-unquote sexy thrillers were a little bit more tame, but I guess Orgasmo really wasn't for 1969. It had a lot of nudity. It had a lot of innuendo about, you know, um, threesomes and, and, and stuff Carol like Baker that. Carol Baker could just leave the top on for now on if, if no one minds. 
Yeah, it's fine. She doesn't need to take that off. Although she did have on a see-through nightgown thing that was black that I believe was an orgasmo that was lovely. She had some cool outfits. The outfit that she kissed the dude in at the party where the stripper chick was looked like fucking Fruity Pebbles puke. It was (laughs) the most awful fucking thing I've ever seen. (laughs) It was horrendous. It was really, really bad. But, um... But did you like it in um, Orgasmo when she put on that pixie wig to look like Ava? Was that a little too much for you? Yeah, that's right. I remember that now. She had the she, so it was the both of them with the short, you know, pixie cut dudes, and then she just took hers off, and and the and the rest of the hair came out. I guess were they? I mean, wigs were huge back at this time period. I mean, people yeah. were wearing them all the time, but I don't know if. If Lindsay was trying to say, look, she cut her hair to look like the other girl. And now, oh, surprise, she really didn't. It's just a wig. I don't know if that uh-huh. go that far. I think it's one of those things, like, if you're rich and wealthy, you have enough wigs to make yourself look like anything. Right. And if you're not, then you... Well, it's like that whole face from those other films. She yeah, had, dude. She had a wig, a different wig in every scene. Oh, and they were all shit. Good God, that poor fucking person, dude. <laughs> Anyhow, she was awful, but I have found a weird place in my heart for her because yeah. she's so god awful. <laughs> but um, so, just to, before I forget, because I'm actually remembering right now, make sure you go on Facebook and add us, um, add our group, and we'll add you right in. Go over to jalochowchow.com um, to contact us for anything if you want to just chat it up. There's actually an email that, or actually, there's a couple emails that I didn't read tonight. I will read them on the next episode, I promise. And if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes, that would be super tits. So um, please do that. And um, also, go to jalochowchow.com to see the score of these two films as well as at least 51 others yeah and i think um we're pretty much synced up now where jalo score has the same list of films that has has been covered on the podcast i think we're we're, there may be one one missing and and one there may be one short did you do short night of glass dolls yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of that's on my site that we never covered. But, uh, and, and, you know, for people who are interested in going back through the um, the archives of the podcast, go to jalochowchow.com. You will find all the way, if you just if you just click through the archives, you'll find all the way back to episode one and moving forward. Whereas if you subscribe to either of the two um, podcast um, feeds. It really only gives you the last ten. We're trying to figure that part out, but if you know <clears> how <throat> to make that be so shitty, please let us. We're not that bright. But I think a lot of times, especially with our podcast, you have somebody who watched a particular Jalo, and now they want to listen to the episode that that corresponds to. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. <clears throat> First of all, I'm not sure how many regular listeners we have um but the ones that are regular seem to just keep up with 
okay, next on our show is going to be this film. And then they've either seen it already or they get a chance to watch it before they listen to our show. But for people who may be coming in as new listeners, um, <clears throat> if there's a Jalo that you have seen or that you have access to that you really like, um, you go through the archives on the Chow Chow page and you may find that it's been covered. Uh, we did uh, many of the Argento films. We did all of the, you know, we did the Animal Trilogy as well as Tenebrae and Deep Red and Opera. Um, we did all the Sergio Martino films. We did uh, the Fulci films. We've done a bunch of Lenzi now. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in the archives if you're interested. And uh, not to say that we won't go back and revisit some of these because they may show up on a redemption tour. But um, we also got a lot of unseen films um, that haven't been tapped by either of us. And there are so many. Like, I was kind of freaking out because someone said it like a couple weeks ago we're going to start running out of movies here and there are still so many fucking movies that yeah, there's are a, there's a ton. really fun that we haven't got to that i'm just super excited so yeah doesn't seem like it'll go away anytime soon which is fine with me <laughs> right on all right then was were those all of our plugs yeah, we plugged everything, except our butts. Speak for yourself, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, then that's that. So until next time, everyone, ciao, ciao. ciao. ciao.